The Coach's Roundtable is brought to you by Between the Lines. Between the Lines offers online training with current minor league affiliates from the comfort of your own home through online technology. With their coaching, watch your skills and money increase due to no longer needing to drive to get training. For more information, go to betweenthelines.pro. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Coaches Roundtable Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Credo, and today I'm joined by a few coaches that are going to break down all things pitching for us. But enough for me, let's get to know our coaches, and we'll start with you first, Coach Crawford. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are now. Yeah, Joel, thanks for having me. You know, I, I've been at Lipscomb now for, for right at a year. I kind of bounced around a little bit over the last uh, last couple of years, but you know, this is my uh, seventh year, I believe, in, in Division One baseball, and you know that that journey started at, at Murray State University. Uh, was there for uh, two and a half years before you know heading to Louisiana Monroe. Uh, from there, I ended up going, uh, moving back a little closer to my my wife's family, and uh, wanted to get back to this part of the country. So so moved to Austin P. Uh, was there for a little over a year before before coming to Lipscomb. So you know, very fortunate to be here. Uh, coach said some lower levels even before then uh, was, you know, at the junior college level and a high school head coach and the NAI level uh, before, you know, starting the kind of division one journey. So, you know, very, le- very blessed to be kind of where I am right now. And, uh, you know, fortunate to be at a, a place like Lipscomb. Awesome. We're glad to have you on. And what about you, Coach Aspo? Tell us a little, little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are now. I'm a California product that's out in the uh, southeast now. So I grew up in the Napa Valley, um, up in Northern California, about 50 miles north of San Francisco. Um, Went to school at UC Santa Barbara. Um, So ended up in in Southern California and I just couldn't leave and I just couldn't leave the game. Um, So I played at UCSB. I started coaching at Santa Barbara City College. Um, I played at Santa Barbara City College for two years uh, before I finished up at, at UCSB. So I coached at Santa Barbara City College for eight years. Um, kind of in the middle of that, I did the summer ball circuit for six years. Uh, I spent two summers in the Cape Cod League with the Brewster Whitecaps. Uh, I was the head coach of the Haymarket Senators in the Valley League. And then I was the pitching coach for the Santa Barbara Foresters in the California Collegiate League. Um, and some some stars aligned, um, and I ended up landing a job at Appalachian State. Um, and I've been here for five years now, going on six. Awesome. We're glad to have you on as well, Coach. So let's get into the baseball questions, and we'll start with you first, Coach Crawford. When working with pitchers, what's a common or what are some common mechanical flaws you see? And then how do you go about fixing them? You know, I think the number one thing uh, that, that we kind of deal with on a, on a daily basis or with pitchers, especially as they enter our program, um, you know, and I think it's kind of a hot topic right now. But, you know, I see it with a lot of our guys is, is the ability to be able to hinge your hips properly is something that I I think a lot of people, you know, struggle with. And, you know, whether that be because of mobility or whether it be because of strength uh, or just the overall knowledge of not necessarily, you know, knowing how to or what what that feels like. So, 
you know, we spend a lot of time using the core velocity belt. Uh, we spend a lot of time uh, using slide boards and, and some different things like that to try to, you know, just give them that that feel uh, and, and try to, you know, use different different tools along the way to, to kind of teach that movement pattern to them. And, you know, what, what I've seen with that with the core velocity belt is, you know, it's something that just kind of gives instant feedback to our guys and, you know, I think uh, our guys would kind of echo that, you know, whether you're doing it for activation at the beginning of practice or maybe you're doing it for, you know, more drill work after they've done throwing or even with their throwing in the outfield. You know, I think that's something that, uh, you know, our guys pretty much use on a daily basis. What about you, Coach Aspo? What are some of the common mechanical flaws you see with some of your guys? And then how do you guys go about fixing those? I think uh, over the course of my coaching career, there's kind of been a transition from flaw to flaw that's been interesting to watch. Um, this is going on my 14th year in college baseball. And when I first started coaching in 2008, uh, 2007, actually, I, uh, I just distinctly remember from just a very basic standpoint that the overwhelming majority of pitchers that I were getting uh, from a mechanical flaw standpoint had unbelievably poor stride direction. Um, I feel like every right-hander that came into our program wanted to step directly into the third base coach's box and, and vice versa with lefties. Um, so looking at kind of a, a fundamental flaw, generally speaking, especially with community college athletes at the time, um, it was one of those things that set them up poorly for not only strike throwing, but particularly command and particularly velocity. And then for some reason, there was a transition and I think the big flaw that started coming about was delivery tempos. And again, um, as a really basic fundamental for high-level pitching, especially in amateur baseball, I think tempo in the delivery is critical. Um, and for whatever reason, there was this wave wave after wave after wave of pitchers that had unbelievably slow deliveries um, one thing that we always kind of do with our guys i use it in the evaluation process is setting a stopwatch when a pitcher's in the windup from the time that he starts his delivery until foot strike um, and i mean i had guys that were you know north of two and a half to three seconds. It kind of looked like they were pitching by numbers. Um, rocker step, foot down, quote, balance point. And then all of a sudden I'm allowed to go forward because I'd hit this checkpoint. Um, and there was just this real loss in athleticism, um, real loss in body velocity. Um, so that was kind of the second wave of what i've what i've seen it was it was a really weird transition and i would a hundred percent um agree with what what grayson mentioned with proper use of the pelvis from the hip hinge um i kind of look at that one personally as more like an optimization um versus kind of that fundamental mechanical flaw 
Fascinating insight, guys. And so I'll start this next question with you, Coach Aspo. And if the three that I'm giving you, the three choices, you can only pick one. So of these three, which one do you think is the most valuable for a pitcher to possess? High velocity, great location, or tremendous movement on their pitches? If I only got one, I would... That's a really hard question um, because I think two of the three cover the other ones. Um, so I'll, I'll give you a roundabout. I'll give you a roundabout answer, and then maybe it'll it'll tighten up what I'm thinking. I would pick velocity first um, because I think what velocity does is it allows you to cover up. It gives you more wiggle room with less location and it gives you more wiggle room with a lack of movement. Uh, generally speaking, the harder that guys throw, especially at the lower the level that they're at, um, they're going to be able to give themselves, they're going to be able to give themselves a margin for error. And I think in training, a lot of what we're doing as pitching coaches is trying to give our players the biggest margin for error. Um, cause as we know, pitchers don't hit their spots. Um, I think it was a few years ago, Dallas Keuchel won the Cy Young award and his average miss was 16 inches from its intended target. So you're looking at the best pitcher in baseball and he's almost a foot and a half away from a target on average. So we know how overwhelmingly difficult it is, um, to actually target pitches. Um, and I think velocity gives you, gives you that wiggle room to miss and particularly to miss into the strike zone with less fear. On the other hand, where I think it's an awesome question, if you only get to pick one, um, and I'm super fortunate at App State, we have a track man. Um, we have a professor and a team of analysts that help us out and one of the biggest things that we found is that location is kind of the critical piece of the puzzle um and you see it a lot with uh the metrics now with big league swing decisions if you throw pitches on the edges there's just no damage to be done regardless of the pitch mix and by and large regardless of the velocity um being out of those middle 10, middle 12 inches of home plate, um, we're kind of finding that that's, you know, that's the, that's the answer to the big question. Uh, the problem is, again, targeting those pitches, you're not giving yourself very much wiggle room. Um, so my initial idea would be velocity to give yourself some freedom to pitch and be aggressive in the strike zone. Um, but if you have elite velo or unbelievable location to be quite honest i might pick location interesting stuff coach and what about you coach crawford which of the three would you choose if you could only have one choice well i'll start by saying this i'm glad you asked coach aspo to go first on that question because that i think that was a good thing for all of us but you know I'm kind of with him. I, I feel like a lot of these, and I've I've kind of been thinking about this even as as he was talking right there. Like I feel like they kind of go hand in hand together at points. But I would say that all of us would probably agree 
that when you lack velocity, some of the other things don't matter, you know. And so when when it comes down to to velocity, if I can only have one, I would probably choose velocity as well, uh, for the simple reason of of what you know, Coach Aspo just said as far as it just gives you more room for error. And we know the players that we're coaching, the players at, at a level even under where we're at, that what we try to do is allow our players to be in a position where, you know, they can make mistakes and still have success. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll kind of continue to, to add on something that was said just a second ago. I think it was in the 2014-ish, the Brewers did a study of average pitches thrown by their pitching staff within a two inch radius up, down, right, or left of the intended target. And less than 13% of the pitches of the season were inside that radius. So if the best of the best, and this is what I tell my guys, if the best of the best are outside of that radius, you know, one of the things we do even is we don't try to move around on the plate a ton uh, because ideally, just like coach just said, majority of the time we don't throw the ball where we want to anyway. So I would say that location at that point, you know, for me is, is almost not a factor uh, for being ahead of one of those other two. Uh, I do think with where analytics in this game are going and understanding the horizontal movements and the vertical movements of, of different pitches and, and how that works along with the spin I think if you ask this question in maybe two years, I wouldn't be surprised if Coach and myself both went with movement over velocity because I think everybody is going to be throwing hard and everybody is throwing harder now than they were before. So I think eventually velocity will have to, to slow down a little bit. And as we come to develop our pitchers, I think that's where we're starting to see the movements and you know, we don't have TrackMan yet, but we're actually in the process of getting it. Uh, we just uh, added an analyst to our, our manager staff, and uh, we have hopefully one that's coming to join us for next season in a grad assistant, uh, you know, program. So, you know, that's something we're moving towards. We do have Rapsodo. We throw every bullpen and play every scrimmage with Rapsodo uh, to gather that data. And, and one of the things that we really focus a lot on is – you know, movements of pitches and, you know, whether it's fastball ride outs, whether it's, you know, throwing with pitches with sink. And, you know, I think we, we just saw it in the World Series, like with a guy like, you know, Gratterall, who, you know, yes, he throws the ball extremely hard and it's extremely effortless, but he throws less pitches inside the strike zone than any pitcher in, in Major League Baseball. But yet he's had some of the most success over the last two months. Uh, of anyone and it's all because of, of fastball movement so uh very little you know movement on on the slider for him more gyro uh so very little movement there but his velocity and his movement with his fastball creates so many swing decisions that are almost impossible uh for hitters at that level so as we it trickles down to our level you know i would say velocity today but like I said, I would say almost in, in a year or two, maybe movement. That was great stuff, guys. Really, really good information. This next question, we'll start with you first, Coach Crawford. How do you work with the mental side with your pitchers? Honestly, this is something I feel like that, that we try to do 
to maybe separate ourselves from other programs uh, throughout the country. I try to ask every recruit all the way before they even get here, like how much of the game would you consider is, is mental and how much would you consider uh, to be physical? And one of the things that we always get is somewhere between 80 to 90% of the game is mental. Well, then the very next question I ask them is, well, how much of the, of your practice do you spend on the mental side of games? I'm assuming it's 80 or 90%. And they all look at you like you're crazy. And so I said, well, what, uh, what other thing in life do we know that is 80 or 90% of something to achieve the task that we want to achieve, but yet we work on the 10% 80 or 90% of the time? And, you know, it always stumps them. So, you know, this is something I feel like that we don't work on at 80 or 90%, but we do try to make a conscious effort to work on this as often as we can. Um, you know, we go through you know, different books together, especially during quarantine. We had a picture Zoom where we would go through, uh, you know, books together. We went through a book called The Mind Gym and kind of just went through chapter by chapter, by chapter week by week, uh, had different exercises that I would kind of ask them to do and come back and kind of report on and really just getting them to think outside the box or get them to think about uh, some of the things that go on inside the game and uh, some of the ways to handle uh, some of the flaws that they have mentally, and a lot of them understand what their flaws are, but they always result right back to the physical component. You know, when, when a pitcher is is struggling or even a, a hitter is struggling, you know, they go to the cage and they start working on their swing or, you know, we go and we want to throw another bullpen. And, you know, one of the things I ask them is, is how long have you been throwing a baseball? And, they, you know, since I was five, since I was four, well, then why do we result right back to it's a physical flaw when some of it could just be the way we approach the hitter, the way we approach the game plan, uh, the way we prepared that day, uh, whether it was with our sleep the night before, what did we eat? You know, all those things of having routines and having plans and uh, understanding how the mental aspect of the game go, uh, I think are a huge importance. Uh, we also have d done some Zoom calls. We do something at Lipscomb called Word on Wednesday where we bring in uh, a speaker or Zoom in a speaker or even have some of our own guys talk and, and present to the team every Wednesday uh, that is something that's more mental related uh, and, and what that looks like. And I think that's one of the biggest things for us that we do from the mental side is just understanding and getting them to understand that so much of this game is mental, which they know, but getting them to actually spend that time, you know, working on it. What about you, Coach Aspo? What are some ways that you guys work on the mental side of the game with your pitchers? We spend a lot of our time working on individual mental skills. Um, the concentration in my master's degree was sport psychology. So it kind of rekindled that playing experience of like what was just said, how important the mental game is. Um, I mean, if you look at a baseball game, it's a three hour baseball game and the ball is in play for 12 minutes. Um, so you're looking at only, you know, six or 7% of the game time is spent being active, throwing a pitch, running the bases, um, 
making a decision to swing or not, catching a fly ball. So you're looking at the overwhelming, well over 90% of your game is spent in those transitory times. Uh, if you're on the mound, it's those you know, 12 to 20 seconds in between pitches. If you're in the batter's box, it's the 12 to 20 seconds in between pitches, and it's the 45 minutes in between at-bats or half an hour in between at-bats um, if things aren't going your way. So uh, I would totally agree with the point of how important it is. We kind of attack it from actually practicing individual mental skills. Um, the most important one, without a shadow of a doubt, is learning how to breathe correctly, um, teaching technique from a breathing standpoint, diaphragmatic breathing, um, mindful breathing. We tie it into everything. It's kind of the baseline of any mental skills training. So if you, if you think about mental skills, performance psychology, sports psychology, the overwhelming amount of it is spent trying to stay relaxed, stay poised, and the big one is stay present. Uh, I heard a great one from a psychologist that I did a clinic with, and her take was that the, the real skill is not being focused. It's about getting back to being focused, um, which goes back to that point of how much time is spent in transition in baseball. You can't stay focused for... You can't stay with a fine focus for an entire baseball game. You'll be you'll be completely ex exhausted by the third inning. Um, so we kind of take it on a skill by skill level, um, and we practice it about two to three times a week in a format that is very intentional. Um, so the first one is we always teach mindful breathing. Um, we use a breathing pattern of four in and six out, making sure that that exhale is two counts longer than your inhale. Um, we practice visualization. Uh, we bring visualization into physical action. Uh, we spend a lot of time going through our delivery with our eyes closed, actually seeing things happen from the past, first person shooter. Um, we do guided imagery exercises, uh, progressive muscle relaxations, uh, concentration grids, concentration exercises, um, I've always been a fan of the old Ken Revisa stressors and releases exercise. Um, having that four-step reset with a physical action, with a breath, with a recognition of a stressor, and with a positive thought. Um, so we generally practice these after conditioning. Uh, I really like to do it when our guys are already kind of in a physically distressed state to show them how quickly they can get back to a baseline of low heart rate, uh, focused eyes, focused brain, clear thought, uh, how quickly it, it, how quickly they can go from a terribly difficult day of, of conditioning to a really low heart rate um, using those techniques. So we kind of practice those individual skills. Um, we just did a, a stress test the other day. It was really funny. There was nothing physical that happened during the stress test. Um, they had to do mental math and then take their pulse. They had to do, uh, what was the other one I did? Yeah, it was, it was a mental math, take your pulse, um, a concentration grid, take your pulse, 
and then breathe through a straw for a minute, take your pulse. And even something like trying to do mental math, trying to do a concentration grid or having forced shallow breathing for one minute, uh, everyone's heart rate went up regardless of the fact that they weren't performing necessarily a physical task. Um, so just kind of showing them that the parts of the game that are just situational, the count, the scoreboard, where runners are, whether or not you have a bunt defense on, those things can elevate heart rates. Um, so we spend a lot of time practicing those skills to stay focused, to be able to concentrate, to lower our heart rate so we can be, uh, so we can stay present for that pitch, for that two second effort towards home plate or that one and a half second effort towards home plate. And the last thing I would say is it's all for naught if you don't truly believe it and tie it into everything that you do. Um, so if you believe in, in breathing techniques, I would say, do you mandate it on a pre-pitch basis? Do you mandate it as a part of a release exercise? Um, do you pay attention more to your guys' poise on the mound during a bullpen or a game? Or do you pay more attention to balls and strikes when you're trying to train that attribute? So I, I think the mental side of it, in my opinion, it's a, it's a series of skills that don't need to be mastered. But if every player can pick one or two or three that they can use at any point, the breath kind of being the one baseline, um, it kind of gives them a toolkit to handle the parts of the game that might bring thought into the game. Because what we're really trying to do is we're trying to create thoughtless performance. So this next question, I'll start with you first, Coach Aspo, and it's what are ways you mix up how you do bullpens, whether it be competitions you do, distractions you try to use on your pitches while they're throwing, or things you chart? Um, I use a ton of different formats in bullpens. Um, what, I, what I used to do, my, my go-to was always just scripting bullpens. Um, especially when I was in junior college and I had these gargantuan pitching staffs and I was trying to see who could handle what, who couldn't. Um, so mixing that up a lot of times was nothing more than mindfully building a script that's either challenging, um, that should be reinforcing, limiting pitch selection, only giving a guy a fastball, only giving a guy a fastball and a changeup. Um, you know, throwing pitches that complement one and each one another to try and create success in the bullpen. Glove side fastballs with changeups um, to try and help them keep that hand speed or arm side fastballs and breaking pitches. Try and get them lined up with that starting point of the pitch. Um, so that was kind of my my normal one to quote mix it up. Um, was different different variations of of scripts either. Combinations of pitches that are challenging, combinations of pitches that should help you find a pitch. Um, we always include running game components in our bullpens. So kind of our, our idea is that if I'm going to ask you to do something in a game, I'm going to ask you to do it in the bullpen too. So we spend a lot of time practicing long holding. We go through pick series. We use inside moves. Uh, looks and picks are heavily used in our bullpens. But the ones that I've started doing a lot more 
recently that I enjoy, especially when you kind of have your whole system in. You have your running game at first base. You have your pitch outs. You have your holds. You have your looks and picks. You have your sign systems. Is I like what I like doing now is creating a format to the bullpen, um, or even creating a format to the game, giving the pitcher some agency, but creating challenging settings. So, for example, if you're a right-handed pitcher and you have a right-handed batter, you only get to be fastball changeup or if you are facing a left-handed batter, it's only fastball breaking ball. So putting them in a challenging environment where their secondary pitches work into the barrel, um, which I would say is kind of the point at which a player knows that he's dominated that pitch, he's dominated the baseball, he can keep a right-right changeup, middle arm side and down, and still have enough of a movement profile or speed spread to get a swing and miss or same thing with the breaking pitch giving you absolutely no wiggle room to overdo it but having that feedback of a really good movement profile and really good location with no wiggle room um, so we've been doing a lot of that um, we've been doing a lot of live work so me running a bullpen either a script or a format versus hitters live um, i think it's really raised a level of competition so our position players are hitting our bullpen live, but we're still running our bullpen per the format or per the script. Um, I started doing it about two, three years ago. Um, I built a, a random pitch generator on Excel, and it allows me to randomize pitch selection and location over a certain number of pitches, and I can do it with a pitch frequency. So, uh, you know, Grayson Crawford is a 60% fastball, 20% breaking ball, 20% changeup mix. I can build a 30 or 40 pitch random bullpen that reflects his pitch usage. Um, and then I can take that one into a game and irrespective of the count, if it's changeup time and it's 3-0, then throw a changeup with conviction and, and try and get a swing in the strike zone. So that's been a really fun one to play with. Um, and then mixing that into other formats of bullpen, maybe working it to the count. Um, let the pitcher pick two strike counts, let even counts be randomly generated. Um, I'll take charge of a couple of counts and then have some auto fastballs to punish not being in the strike zone. Um, reward their pitch selection, let them put guys away they want. So I've kind of gone a little bit more to, uh, to formatting pens and generally my mode of thought, I don't know how much my pitchers enjoy it. I think it takes a little while to get used to it, but I kind of look at it like the more difficult I can make your bullpen, the better you're going to be. So I'm always trying to find a creative way per the ability of the pitcher to make things kind of miserable on them. Um, we spend a lot of time with two stand-ins. So it's either a live hitter or there's two stand-in dummies again, to kind of get them into that mode of competing against themselves, competing against the pitch. Um, there's no way or in. It's just a glove side pitch or an arm side pitch. The breaking pitch is the same, whether it's a righty or a lefty, that kind of idea. And as for charts, um, we're lucky enough. We have a rap soto. So I kind of have a, I kind of have a, a built-in chart there. The, uh, 
the dashboard is is all I need for that. I used to keep analog charts when I was in community college and I didn't have ball tracking. Um, and it was nothing other than keeping track of pitch executions, velocities, um, time to foot strike out of the windup and break times out of the stretch. And what about you, Coach Crawford? What are some ways that you guys mix up how you do bullpens? You know, I think this is something where, you know, one of the philosophies that, that we really talk about a lot is, you know, we want to make our, our practice setting much harder than, than anything they'll do during a game. And so, you know, some of the things you just heard, and so I'll, I'll try not to repeat too many of them, but, you know, one of the biggest factors that I feel like these kids uh, that causes stress for them is just their peers, like wanting to wanting to pr- produce satisfaction, you know, in that locker room or, uh, you know, in our, you know, pitching development area or whatever it is. So, you know, we're fortunate we have a little, uh, you know, pitching development area that's attached to our bullpen that's right behind it. And uh, so a lot of guys stand in there while other guys are throwing bullpens, which I love because it creates a, a natural distraction without me ever having to do anything because other people are, are watching. So, you know, we'll do different things where just, just a normal bullpen with normal people around and kind of normal distractions. Uh, we'll do some where we'll take, you know, different pitchers that aren't doing uh, anything at the moment and they'll kind of just go around and line the bullpen all the way around to where it just feels like there's a bunch more eyes on me, uh, that there's a lot of people that are, are focused in and watching everything I do and just try to try to create that internal distraction. Uh, we use a cognition test with our guys at the beginning of every year that they go through and, and kind of lets us know, um, you know, where our distraction levels are, you know, from the, from the mental side of things. So, uh, some guys that are very low in distractions, it's pretty easy for us to, to do different things. We have a surround sound in our bullpen so we can play, uh, we can play music. I'll go to YouTube and a lot of our guys laugh at this, but you just go to YouTube and uh, just YouTube most annoying sounds in the world and start playing those over the speakers. And that's a natural distractant uh, that they have to hear and they have to execute. A uh, funny story, our grounds crew guy actually came over one day and was like, hey, do we have to keep listening to this? And I'm like, well, we're almost done. So it was breaking him and he wasn't even a part of the drill. So uh, I know it was working. Uh, but that's one thing, you know, but one of the things with guys who score really high uh, on this cognition test, but have a hard time focusing is because they're focused on the wrong thing. And so something with, you know, distraction may not bother them, but I make them have to kind of state what they're trying to do uh, with each pitch or what they're trying to do with each bullpen setting. That way I know where their focus is and so you can almost be too focused and be on the wrong thing and that can be just as just as big a negative as somebody who's distracted by the by the simplest thing so i try to empower our pitchers to where they get a say so in what we're going to work on uh in, in each bullpen uh obviously you know we get the final say so and, and a lot of times i try to swing it around to where they're still working on what they think they need, but we're also accomplishing what I think we need. And so uh, them kind of playing a role in that and having investment in it on their end is, has been a big, uh, big thing for us. Uh, us as well, we do a lot with, uh, you know, the running game and mixing that into our bullpens. We actually have a pick now 
that is attached to our bullpen so you can throw an actual pick off. So, you know, you just step over there, throw a pick, and then get right back on the mound. So uh, we feel like that's kind of the most real rep that we can do with that. Uh, so we do that uh, also. Uh, we'll take different, you know, whether we're doing – maybe we're doing bullpens without a catcher, like to a nine square or to the uh, V-flex. And I'll, I'll cover up different areas of the nine square, whether it's just putting like a traffic cone. Uh, one of my buddies that's, uh, you know, a, a pitching coordinator uh, for an NL team kind of told me just traffic cones, just take those and block off different areas of the nine square to where, you know, if we're working on a right-handed slider and we're not trying to backdoor that thing and we're trying to maybe, you know, hit an outside strike or, you know, work on something, a, a right-handed changeup. Well, when you start blocking off, parts of that nine square and it hits that traffic cone and bounces off it's instant feedback for them that that that's a fail and when you start putting a catcher in there sometimes I think the catchers do a good job of covering up you know a failure or a failure to locate or a failure to execute a pitch you know in a place where we know that yes that's a strike in a bullpen but probably in the overall setting that that's not what we want or, or how we want that pitch to look. So, uh, you know, that's something that has been a big piece for us just this year uh, and, and try to create, you know, try to create lanes to where they, they see the execution before they do it and then they get instant feedback on, on did we execute that or did we not. Uh, we use the driveline command balls uh, a lot to where, you know, you're changing up different weights. Uh, and, and what we'll do, you know, just kind of randomization of bullpens I'll mix up a bunch of balls, put them in a bucket, and just make them reach in the bucket and grab a ball, and then you go, go execute a pitch. And so that's something that they have to kind of have feel for their delivery. And, you know, I think that's really made them have a focus uh, for them to be able to to kind of do that. But, you know, really, you know, the last thing I would say is, you know, just overall competition, you know, throwing pins to where – you know, Coach Aspel and myself are both on the mound and we're both going to throw bullpens today. And, you know, we're going to throw a pin where he throws a pitch, I throw a pitch. And, you know, we may be, you know, doing it to a nine square. We're trying to, he may call the pitch and I call the location and we have to execute it. Uh, and then I call the pitch and he calls the location. Or maybe there's a catcher there and, um, you know, we're just doing counts and see who can get the hitter out first. Catcher calls a pitch, anything they want. And it's just alternating. Uh, another thing to go along with that is, you know, I change the ball up pretty regularly uh, in the bullpen where they don't throw it with just one one ball. And, and one of the reasons is, you know, whether it be a foul ball or, you know, home run or whatever happens, you know, very rarely do they throw the same ball for, for over probably, you know, eight to ten pitches at most. So, you know, I want them to have that feeling to where it's a different baseball and, you know, maybe sometimes they'll throw on mounds that aren't fixed. Sometimes I'll tell our guys, don't fix the mound today. And again, I know our groundskeeper doesn't really love that. But, you know, if you're a reliever, you don't pitch on a nice mound every single time you go out there. So you need to understand and learn how to do that. And, you know, I'll kind of wrap it up with this. But, you know, I tell our guys is my job as your coach is to put you in a situation to where you never feel like I've never worked on this and I'm not prepared for this. And it, I try to think of everything outside the box and inside the box that could happen throughout the course of a ball game. And, and we try to prepare for it uh, in our bullpens. Awesome, awesome, awesome stuff, guys. 
This next question, we'll start with you first, Crawford. When preparing for a game, what are the charts you're looking at, discussions you're having with your pitchers, and warm-up for them look like? I think when we're preparing for a game, you know, the day before, you know, we all, as a team, we kind of go through a, a scouting report meeting. Uh, you know, I do all of our, you know, all, all obviously all of our pitching scouting reports. And so anything that's defensive related, I kind of do that as well uh, for us here. And I think that the pitching and defense kind of go hand in hand. So, you know, I'll kind of break that down with them. But even before the day before, so if our Friday starter, uh, he'll throw a bullpen on Tuesday. Well, what I try to do is have some sort of r- at least rough outline of who we're going to play on the weekend and and what that looks like. And, you know, we're fortunate, obviously, to have synergy to where uh, we get, a you know, a lot of video on players. And so I always try to have our guys get a look at who they're going to face before we go out and throw the bullpen. That way, when I'm telling them names, they at least have that visualization to be able to see that hitter, understand what they saw on video, and then, all right, here's how we're going to face them. So, you know, what our weekly bullpen kind of looks like for them at that point is, you know, they're going to they're gonna work on whatever it is we need to work on that, that we come to the conclusion needs to be worked on. And then we always finish up with facing every hitter in that lineup, uh, you know, even if it's just a pitch or two, and then, you know, we may say, you know, such and such got a single. And so uh, now we're in the stretch and we're facing the four-hole hitter, you know, Smith. And, you know, we try to talk our way through who that is with our starters just to make sure that, you know, they're not – there's nothing new they don't know before they get into that. Uh, we go through a lot of uh, – six four three is is a huge partner of our program and somebody that we use a lot. Coach Weldon actually was one of my coaches when I was – playing at Southern Arkansas and you know he has a, a really great product over there and so uh, I would say we use the analytics that we get from them and the stats that we get from them uh, probably as much or more than, than anybody in the country and I don't even know what other people in the country do but I just don't see how they could do more with the analytics than we do. We shift a ton uh, and so we play a lot of that uh, you know with those numbers and with those spray charts and we talk a lot to our pitchers about how to pitch into shifts and, you know, under, I understand this guy's got, you know, X amount of home runs to the pull side, but, you know, here's what we're trying to do. Here's how we're going to pitch him. You know, here's what it looks like in the air. Uh, so, you know, we try to take our guys through all the scenarios of not only how will we pitch them, but how will we play them defensively? You know, because again, I think if they look out there and we're in a full shift and they didn't know we were going to shift, you know, it's just a natural thing to kind of be a little worried about that. So, uh, you know, that's something that, that we spend a lot of time with our guys on. And then, you know, kind of wrapping it up on, on what's their warm-up look like. You know, I think it looks a little different for each individual. You know, I try to – the only thing I really stress to our guys is make sure you leave yourself some time uh, if you're a starter to make sure that, that you get a chance to sit down before you go out there if we're the home team. Uh, because, you know, never will you throw 50 or 60 pitches and walk right to the mound and just keep going, you know. So I think it's important that we give ourselves at least, you know, four or five minutes to sit down on the bench, get a shot of water, wipe our face off, you know, control our breathing, and then we go out there and national anthem and play. So, you know, I just don't think it's uh, I don't think it's something we should continue to work through. Uh, you know, from a reliever standpoint, you know, that looks a little bit different. It's a little more uh, scripted for me. 
I always like for them to get their throwing in before the game. Uh, we have some guys who, uh, you know, who do a little, maybe even a light bullpen touch before the game, uh, maybe five or six pitches just to feel the slope. Um, maybe they haven't pitched in a few days. And, you know, last thing I want is them on the mound and they haven't pitched, you know, since Tuesday and they haven't been on the mound since Tuesday. And here we are on a Sunday afternoon and, you know, they need to, to throw uh, and help us win a, win a series on a Sunday and they haven't been on the mound. So, you know, we try to, to touch the mound as often as we can, even if it's for just a short amount of pitches, uh, because then they still have three or four hours uh, throughout the course of the game before they may pitch again. And so I think that's where the, the plyo care stuff with driveline and some of that has been so helpful just to be able to keep the arm loose and, and kind of move around. And, you know, we have certain calls throughout the game. Uh, I learned this from Kirk Sarlos a while back. And, you know, if you label your pitchers before the game and put them into roles before the game, they kind of know – the innings that they'll be called upon. And so what we try to do is is label our pitchers before a weekend series or before a midweek game and let them know here's the here's the role you're going to pitch in today or this weekend and uh here so here's the innings you need to be ready to go and I, I give freedom for our guys to move around throughout the bullpen and the dugout and uh, we call it shadowing. They may go to the bullpen and just shadow uh the pitcher pitch for pitch in the bullpen without ever throwing a pitch and it just keeps them mentally locked in, keeps them engaged in what's going on in the game uh, instead of sitting at the end of the dugout for two, two and a half hours, you know, eating sunflower seeds, talking about, you know, somebody's girlfriend in the stands. Well, now all of a sudden we're mentally engaged in the game in the fourth inning and uh, the starter starts getting blown up and, and you're engaged and you know what's happening and not trying to hurry down to the bullpen and find your spikes. And now we're in a rush situation and, and the game's in your hands. So, uh, I think just the prior preparation to all those things and letting them have an understanding of, you know, who they are, what roles are they're expected to perform in. And, you know, kind of goes back to that mental question of, you know, letting them mentally prepare before they get into a physical state. What about you, Coach Aspo? Take us to those moments prior to a game starting. What are the conversations you're having with your pitcher? What are the charts you're looking at? What does the warm up look like? I would say that the overwhelming majority of the things that we do are overwhelmingly similar to what uh, Coach Crawford just said. Um, we're a Synergy client. We're a 643 client. Um, same thing as, as he said, I'll echo it. I'm lucky I get to do all of the, the uh, defensive component of the scouting report. Um, all of the hitters... I get to do all of the defensive positioning um, and between Synergy and 643, we have a ton of data. Um, so it's very similar on that, on that preparation standpoint. Um, like, what are we looking at? Um, we're looking at first pitch swing percentages. We're looking at second pitch swing percentages. Um, how do guys strike out? Um, you know, what kind of strikeout rates are we looking at? What kind of walk rates are we looking at? What kind of swing rates do we have? Um, are there particular swing and miss zones uh, with percentages? And then a really, really big part of it for us too, like he said, uh, shifting, defensive positioning, making sure that guys are standing in the right place on the field per the hitter to give yourself your best chance on contact to go collect an out. 
Um, I would say the part of it where I kind of differ is the discussions with the pitchers prior to um, that preparatory period. We kind of don't, I don't really dive into it. I don't really dive into a lineup or a positioning scheme much at all with my pitchers. Um, and I would say the reason for that is going back to one of those earlier questions about the mental game. I don't want my guys thinking about who's hitting, how good they are, what the count is, um, what the scoreboard says, what the other team's record is. Uh, we've tried to create a system where anything that we need to do with the baseball, either from a pitching standpoint or a running game, game standpoint, we've already covered that. We've already turned over that stone. We've practiced it in the bullpen. We've practiced it during catch play. We've practiced it on the defensive side of it. Um, so when, when things pop up that surprise you or beat you, generally those things end up landing in the system the next year. Um, but we don't, I don't really spend a lot of time going over a lineup say, um, or, Hey, this is how we're going to play a team. Uh, we're going to play the team based off of our hanger of data that we have on their lineup. Um, just to put ourselves in the best position to, to succeed. Um, but I want them I want their brain personally, and I, to be quite honest, I don't know if I'm doing them a disservice for the future, um, but I want them to commit to the pitch or commit to the pick, and I want them to focus on nothing other than executing that pitch or executing that running game control completely without thought of, hey, we're in a shift, hey, uh, this guy's really fast. Hey, this guy has pop. Hey, this guy's a, an early swinger. Um, cause those kind of things are going to get dictated over the course of the game. So I kind of take a backwards approach to that. I don't really like them knowing very much. Um, I think the guys that are really just my personal experience, the guys that are really curious about the other team, uh, I think they, tend to spend more time thinking about where they are in a batting order or trying to remember the small type on a scouting report um, than they do just going out and executing the next pitch. Um, the defensive stuff, we kind of, we, we cover that from a team concept. Like, hey, this is how we play. This is where guys are standing. Um, we've had a lot of success with good positioning scheme. So just understand that more often than not, it's going to work for you, but you need to deal with it those two or three times a year that you do run a full shift and you get beat. So those are more, those discussions are more from a team concept, but to be quite honest, I really don't spend a lot of time going over an opponent's scattering report outside of expectations in the running game and expectations in the inside game. Hey, do you need to be prepared to field, drag, push, safety? Um, are we going to spend a lot of time probably long holding? Is it maybe going to be a bigger pick volume than normal? That's kind of where the only uh, that's kind of where the only pregame opponent discussion happens um, with my guys in the bullpen, just because I want them to know out front. Hey, if I go. 
you know, if I go run a series of three or four picks in a row, don't get bored with it. Don't get distracted by it. This is something that we need to do to have success. Um, and then as for a warm up, I would completely echo what Coach Crawford said. All of our starters look a little bit different. Um, those routines start getting built in the fall and they just progress themselves into, you know, with starters especially, um, kind of that weekly routine that day zero, day one, day two, day three, day four. What do these days look like? The One of the big things that we spend a lot of time doing in, in January and February in the preseason is timing how long it takes. Setting a stopwatch and getting an exact amount of time that somebody needs to get prepared for the game because for the exact same reason that was already mentioned, um, we want to be able to have some time before first pitch. So if you look at a, a regular baseball game, you're looking at roughly a you know, 10-minute half inning. So timing it up so that whether you're at home or on the road, that time spent sitting down is roughly the same. Kind of that eight-minute you know, five to eight, you'll steer more towards eight um, so that a home start and a road start doesn't feel different. Um, but a lot of it's spent just on the stopwatch, kind of having a, kind of having a first pitch with, without a time in an inner squad to make sure that we can lock in exactly how much time the Tuesday guy takes, how much time the Friday guy takes, how much time the Saturday guy takes, how much time the Sunday guy takes, because it's their day. It's their start. Um, if they move quickly between, between prep functions, then cool. Uh, if they like to take their time a little bit more cool. Um, if there's a part of their throwing program that takes a little bit more time, something like having a plyo routine, having a body blade routine, um, guys that have past history of it, where it's just a pretty smooth transition from arm prep, body prep to throwing, making sure that all those things are accounted for. And then the last little part would be that all of our pitchers have a bullpen routine. So the starters have a larger routine. The bullpen guys have a scripted routine. Um, and they all throw their first collection of pitches the exact same way every single time they go into a game. So I'm a huge proponent of your preparation being in routines. Obviously, your training being in extremely difficult environments. Um, but to be quite honest, I, I just, I like my guys throwing the same series of pitches the same way every, every single time before they go into a game because there's a success in just getting through the routine. Hey, I wrote this routine. I own it. Uh, sometimes I use it in a midweek bullpen. This is what gets me prepared. And whether my pitches were good, bad, or indifferent, I have completed the thing that I own that gets me ready to go. Uh, I think when you, if you leave amateur pitches to their own devices, they're going to try and find pitches. Um, and especially with bullpen arms, a lot of times it's a, it's a two pitch game. Um, sometimes if you have a, a, a plus pitch, it's a one pitch, it's a one pitch attack. So, limiting limiting that not giving them that freedom to go down to the pen and throw 25 straight sliders because i can't find it i i don't want that um, and on the same token i don't want them to throw seven pitches and think that they're prepared i want them to come into that game prepared if not over prepared 
because um, it's generally going to be a smaller bout. So all of our guys have a script. Um, there's kind of, we run a, a maximum of 25 in the bullpen, including pull-down throws. Um, the starters have a little bit more flexibility. There's tend to be in the, you know, 30 to 35 range, but every guy has a script. It's his own script. And I want them coming in, into a game after doing something that they own. So we will transition into the pregame stuff to the in-game stuff. And we'll start with you first, Coach Aspo. In games, what are things you look for or are charting with your pitchers? Well, again, we're super, super lucky, and we have a track man. Um, so a lot of the things that we look for, um, like we, we already we kind of have that that running tally, a lot of it's post-processing more than in-game. Because, um, I mean, in-game, in we don't really keep too much. Um, I call pitches at App State. I chart my own game on a pitch-by-pitch -pitch basis. Um, I don't have another pitcher do it, and I do it so that I can... I mean, I always know the count. I always know how many outs there are. I know where we are in a batting order. I have a running pitch count. Um, it's a really quick scan to see which pitches are being thrown for strikes, which ones are not. Um, I mean, it's really easy to go into a game with a guy that has a very, uh, a very dominant second pitch and he's just not executing it for that day. And it's really easy to kind of keep going to it. Um, but I think it's just a little bit easier on my end uh, to chart my own game and notice, Hey, yeah, I know his slider's his best pitch, but, I mean, he's 0 for 5, the last 5, so I need to pick and choose the right time to go use that pitch. You know, let's use it in a double-up situation where I can guarantee, you know, I can kind of feel pretty confident that regardless of the outcome, I can throw it back-to-back -back and get it into his hand. Um, so the things that kind of we're looking for, uh, I communicate with my catcher a lot on pitch location. Um, from the dugout, I kind of really only have a sense of up and down. I really don't have a sense, especially on foul balls or contact, of east-west pitch placement, um, especially with a quiet catcher. Um, so I spend a lot of time in-game kind of communicating through signals with my catcher. And then a lot of it's just kind of what we're, what we're charting and, and, and looking for, to be quite honest, is what's working, what's generating a swing and miss. Um, you know, which side of the plate is the fastball command good at? So really, uh, it's a it's a really simple approach on our end of it. Most of the most of the conversation is post processing because we do have TrackMan. We're lucky on that end of it. But in game, I mean, the only chart going is is my game chart, um, and a lot of it's just me communicating with the catcher about pitch execution so that. If there is an issue, we can go iron those things out, whether it's maybe throwing pitches to certain locations in between innings uh, or maybe just that brief conversation and that reminder to go get to the next inning. But we're it's very simple. Uh, we're, we're very simple about kind of that in-game in -game charting and, and in-game looking for. What about you, Coach Crawford? What does the in-game charts discussions you're having look like? You know, I think in game we've we've kind of 
back this off a little bit. Uh, you know, I, I think even when I started, you know, we used to have five or six different charts and we're looking at all this stuff after the game. And, you know, I think we always talk to our, our pitchers about keeping it simple. And so we kind of just went through and we're like, okay, what are the, the three or four different uh, things that are most important to us? And, and let's just keep up with those. So uh, we do keep a pick chart. And so I try to have our, our pitchers that are not in the game. Um, they're basically trying to pick our pitcher uh, and, and try to see if he's tipping pitches or trying to see if there's something he's doing that might uh, the other team might be trying to get as well. Because, you know, usually the other team has some type of uh, pitcher or position player is not playing. That's a sign. Try to steal signs or try to steal, you know, something that the pitcher's doing and so we're kind of doing that in our own dugout. So hopefully if we are doing something, uh, we can we can pick up on that beforehand. We even do that in inner squads uh, throughout the fall. Uh, and I feel like, you know, some of those flaws uh, can kind of be addressed before we ever get into a game. Uh, you know, I do have a another pitcher that keeps the, the kind of the game chart, the pitching chart. Uh, I've done it myself. Uh, I don't mind doing it myself, but I've just figured out, uh, in my opinion, from moving the defense and uh, calling pitches, it does just free you up just a little bit. Uh, but I do kind of keep certain notes of my own, uh, kind of like Coach Aspo said, like I want to know, you know, what pitches are working and I want to know, you know, where we're at in the lineup. So I kind of use the game card in the dugout. I'm always by that uh, to kind of have that in my head. And as well as just like I said earlier about the analytics of, you know, I, I run our bullpen as far as who's going to come in next and who needs to be moving around. And so if I'm charting the game myself, sometimes that uh, I feel like I cannot do as good a job of, of managing that bullpen. Uh, so that's something I try to do. But, um, you know, we're kind of keeping up with, you know, first pitch swings. You know, we have an idea, again, from 643 of, you know, who's aggressive in a non-runner in scoring position you know, count as far as uh, swing percentages. Uh, and then we have a, we also keep up with the, you know, runner in score position. Uh, how aggressive are they uh, on swings early in the count? And so uh, just kind of keeping up with that, making sure that the scouting report matches what's happening today. And, you know, I always talk about, to me, the scouting report is very good for Friday night. And then after Friday night, I feel like you kind of write your own scouting report, uh, or at least I do being a former catcher, kind of watching hitters and seeing how they play, you know, the philosophy and the hitter, you know, hitters don't change. Our head coach says that all the time and, you know, hitters don't change. And so they're going to be the same guy pretty much the whole weekend. And so sometimes you see what you see on video. And I think that's good again for Friday night. But once you get into it, I probably spend more time watching and charting the opposing team and what's happening with them than I do even my own guys. Cause hopefully you know, what we know about our guys, that's not really going to change too much either. Uh, but we are keeping up with first pitch swings. You know, we're trying to figure out what pitch today uh, is our contact pitch. So we talk a lot about, you know, count averages and how we pitch into to certain counts. And, uh, you know, we talk a lot about 2-2 two, two counts being a contact count. And a couple other counts for us are contact counts. And so we want to know what pitch is a contact pitch for us. And so, uh, you know, especially our starters, when we're trying to lengthen them out and, you know, get as much as we can get out of them. And uh, I think those contact pitches are important. Uh, so we are trying to, to figure out some of that, uh, trying to get an idea of the running game. Like what, you know, is there count 
trying to run in or is it uh and hopefully we have that all figured out before we get into it but depending on the time of year and and who you play and do they have synergy or not like you know some of that stuff you may not be able to to get access to so you know kind of keeping up a little bit with what is their what's their offensive game plan what's the running counts for them uh, I do a lot of talking to our infielders about you know our pitchers and the holds or do they feel like their runners are are trying to to steal signs or trying to vault steal or or whatever it is that we're doing you know kind of as you know what's the game plan and I kind of back to kind of like a football game where you know when the offense comes off the field you know the coaches all get kind of get them together and they make a game plan for when they go back and uh, sometimes that game plan is keep doing exactly what we're doing and sometimes it's you know let's go to plan b you know that maybe this didn't work the way we thought it was going to work so we got to go to plan b today so uh, you know, that's that's probably more uh, of the stuff that we are looking at. And then I guess lastly, we talk a lot about, you know, leadoff outs, you know, trying to get leadoff out seven of at least seven of nine innings, you know, and, and so kind of keeping our pitchers aware of that throughout the game. And then, you know, one of the biggest counts for us, we talk a lot about count averages with a one one count and making sure we're, we're winning two of the first three pitches. Uh, you know, I may be a little different than some. I don't put a ton of emphasis on first pitch strikes. Uh, I do think it's important. I do think it helps us get to where we're trying to go easier. But I don't want our guys to have that negative thought of, you know, man, I failed because I'm in a one. I'm in a one zero count because you know so many things can happen good still from a one zero count as long as we understand how to get back into the count and understand the count averages and and what we're trying to do and so. We talk a lot about winning those one counts. I feel like that's where more games are won and lost, or that's the most important count when you look at, uh, you know, the count averages of what happens after uh, the one-one count. So we do spend a lot of time in game talking about uh, talking about that or charting that more than talking about it. And then, you know, a lot of our work comes post game with with some of those things. And if we play at a place as TrackMan, and then fortunately enough this year we'll have TrackMan here at home as well. So you know, we'll be able to break down, you know, some of those other things post-game. Great insight so far, guys. And so we'll wrap it up right here with this question. I'll start with you first, Coach Crawford. How do you guys do arm care for your pitchers? You know, I think for us, the uh, the arm care stuff, we're, we're, we're extremely fortunate. We have a, a new program called, you know, Driveline Tracks, and you know, a lot of that stuff with the, the arm care recovery, you know, they do a great job at, at driveline of, of providing, you know, the, the prehab, what I call prehab and then the, the rehab after the post throwing. Uh, but, you know, I've also wrote out some of my own stuff uh, that I'm a big believer in. Uh, and really more than anything, you know, I'll just start with this. I always tell our guys like, there's really two analogies with a car that I talk about a lot and they both kind of go with recovery. But, you know, eventually if you don't put gas back in the tank, then, you know, your car's not going to run. And, and so that recovery is just kind of filling up the gas tank and then also letting them understand that the car is only going to go as fast as the brakes can stop. And so, you know, if you look at, you know, if we were fortunate enough to go in and look at a, a pitcher's shoulder, you know, especially the posterior part of the shoulder, uh, early in the season and latter in the season, I think you would see a pretty significant difference. And so we spend a lot of time kind of working on that posterior chain, 
not only in the weight room, but also in a, in a recovery setting. So whether it's reverse throws, whether it's, you know, banded work, we do a lot of manual uh, recovery. We're fortunate enough, our trainers with us every day and travels with us. So, you know, our guys kind of make up a routine. Uh, we have a BFR machine. So we, we spend a lot of time with that uh, to be able to do that blood flow restriction. Um, you know, the floss band is kind of a, what our guys call the cheap man's BFR before we got that, that we use the floss band some. Uh, but I think the biggest thing is getting your guys to understand that the work really comes post throw, in my opinion, more than it does pre throw or even during the throw. Uh, you know, the, the throwing itself, the pitching in the game itself, that's almost like the reward. But I want our guys to think about recovery like, I'm working to be able to get myself back to have a chance to pitch again. Uh, and, and so when it comes to recovery, you know, we, like I said, we do a lot of different things that are banded work. Uh, we want to make sure that, that we're getting our, our plow care stuff in, you know, whether it's reverse throws or rebounders or whatever it is that we do. Uh, we do a ton of shoulder strengthening exercises. Uh, but then the other thing we've really added to this year that I think has made a huge difference you know, in recovery, we don't do a bunch of running afterwards. We don't really do a bunch of, of distance running period in our program. We do more sprint work and, uh, you know, more anaerobic exercises instead of aerobic exercises. But, you know, we've done a bunch of mobility work very like right after the post throw. Uh, if it's during the week and it's a, a midweek bullpen, uh, we go it straight into the weight room. Uh, we're fortunate enough to have a, a baseball only weight room. And so, you know, we go straight into the weight room with our strength coach. And, you know, as soon as they come off the mound, they go straight into the weight room. And, you know, I took that from Coach Calvi at South Alabama years ago to where, you know, the sooner we can get them into to recovery state, uh, the better off we are. And we, we would love to go ahead and just deplete that body completely on one day. That way we start that build up. Uh, you know, the night of instead of waiting till the following day. So uh, if at all possible, we try to get into the weight room, uh, get those movement patterns back going, make sure our range of motion is good and uh, really start that recovery process as soon as we can. We'll wrap up the episode right here with you, Coach Aspo. What are the ways that you guys do arm care for your pitchers? Uh, well, I would I would break it into to two parts. I would break... I would break up arm care and I would break up recovery. Um, and I, my opinion, I think those two kind of get conflated sometimes. Um, we kind of approach recovery, um, kind of more by the definition of recovery, which is restoring range of motion. Um, so we know that after a bout of pitching, or this is what the literature says about of pitching, it takes about 20 to 25 stress throws from a mound that we discernibly lose certain ranges of motion in our shoulder complex and in our hips. Um, so we know there's losses in uh, shoulder internal rotation, elbow extension, scapular upward rotation. Uh, we lose internal rotation in our lead hip. So the, the, the biggest part of recovery for me to kind of from backwards to forwards um, is doing things to restore range of motion. Um, and generally speaking, the way that we do that is kind of in a post-throw setting. Um, 
And it's generally done through mobility circuits and we use a lot of static stretching trying to attack those ranges of motion so that we don't have those losses in a chronic sense. Um, you know, there's a, there's a ton of research about particular lost ranges of motion over a course of a season and seeing considerably increased incidence of elbow and shoulder injuries. Um, so on the recovery side of it, we really attack the mobility side of it. Um, like our starting pitchers the day after their start, um, I mean, they start their day with soft tissue work um, and they go with our strength coach for about a 20 minute continuous mobility circuit. So they're doing nothing but mobility drills um, and they're actually getting a little bit of an aerobic capacity out of it, which we know is good to promote a recovery environment in the body. Um, and that's kind of when we start hitting the arm care. Um, but the recovery stuff for me, it's complete restoration of range of motion. Um, and again, we use, we use mobility circuits and static stretching for that. Arm care, I look at arm care as total body care. Um, I think the, the first place where you start getting arm care is in the weight room. Um, your strength and conditioning program, same thing that Coach Crawford said. Um, our conditioning menus are extremely small. We do glycolytic interval running. We do max sprint efforts. Uh, we do a little bit of change of direction. We do some lateral work, uh, plyometrics, but that total body care, being strong, being physically fit, being able to absorb and handle the, the eccentric stress of, of decelerating the arm. So that's kind of the first one's that total body care. Um, but then to the arm care exercises, um, I mean, we have a, a daily band routine. A lot of it ends up getting individualized based off of, based off of need. Um, we spend a ton of time with a two pound ball doing half kneeling deceleration catches, standing deceleration catches, um, we do a lot of, of supine table work, guys on their bellies doing Y's, T's, upward rotations, sideline work. Um, so we spend a lot of time kind of in that scapular stabilization arena right there. Um, but that's more like he was saying, like Grayson was saying, building those breaks. Um, that's kind of the work that we do to increase work capacity without throwing. I think that if you're, if you're not increasing your work, if you're trying to increase a work capacity and an ability to throw with throwing modes only, I think you're cutting yourself short. Um, so having a, a reverse throwing progression, having a wall dribbling progression, um, for a lot of guys having a plyo progression, um, on the front end of it. And then on the back end of it to continue to add volume with, with non-throwing modalities to add the D cell catch work, whether you're on a knee, you're standing, um, you know, the rebounder work. We don't, we don't do rebounders, but we do a lot of wall dribbling. Um, so kind of more those things for arm care. And then in season, um, we kind of break it up. Our starters do arm care over the course of three days. Um, so their first day back after a start is, uh, a lot of scapular positioning, um, resisted 
you know, resisted wall slides, resisted overhead squatting, like doing things just to put the shoulder back up into place. And then they do light rhythmic stabilization works. Um, same thing, catches, using a body blade, getting rhythmic stabe. I do a lot of manual perturbation stuff with them. And then once they're freshened up for strengthening, um, and again, I do it all by hand. We do a lot of manual eccentrics. Um, so everything working, cranking them into external rotation, but I'm working on them by hand. So I'm kind of along a strength curve. So it's fair to them. Some guys can't handle a band or a cable. Um, so if I do it by hand, I can get some manual eccentrics in there too. And then our bullpen, generally speaking, they do arm care work on the days that they pitch to just pile a high day. Um, their pitch counts are normally low. So, or hopefully they're low. Um, so to think that they can do arm care on the same day that they pitch and you're just making that pitch day kind of a high day, it generally sets them up for a chance to throw the next day versus kind of spacing it out. And maybe there's some fatigue that sets in, um, kind of in a pre-throw environment, but we kind of break it up. Um, I, I think arm care is arm care is total body care. I think recovery is restoring range of motion. And then I think a lot of that reverse throwing, wall dribbling, decel catching, a lot of the, uh, a lot of what gets called recovery now, I think that's, I think that's uh, arm fitness and, and work capacity. That wraps it up for the Coaches Roundtable podcast. Thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. If you would be interested in being part of an episode yourself, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at Coach Crato. K-R-A-T-O. Thank you.